Well, good morning to all of you here in the sanctuary, to those of you down in the fellowship hall, and those of you in Fairfax. What a great day it is to gather as a church family and to worship and sing about our Savior. Uh, if you were here last week, according to Rob, who preached, I'm back from my Rad Dads tour of parks and evangelism. Uh, Rob Yancey is one of the pastors who will be away at General Assembly this week, so his office may or may not get a surprise in it uh, this week. <laughs> if you are joining us with today, we're continuing through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This was written in the first century. Uh, to the followers of Jesus living in Asia Minor. And we've broken the book down really in, into three parts. And in part one, we looked at um, you know, grace for us. We looked at the prism of salvation in chapters one through three. And then as Bill mentioned, um, we looked at a mini-series in the first uh, few verses of chapter four, looking about what it looks like for us as Christians uh, to love one another in the body of Christ. And then now we're beginning sort of part three of Ephesians as we consider what a grace-filled life looks like. In other words, if we've been filled with the grace of God, if chapters one through three are true of us, then how will that impact how we live our life on a daily basis? Grace is very practical, and so that's what we're going to be walking through together through the rest of the summer. But before we dive in, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us and lead us and guide us in our time. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would soften our hearts for you, that you would give each of us courage to look at our life and the world around us, to assess if these things are true according to your truth, we ask you to enable us to even do that now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this last week we had Randy Pope, who's a longtime pastor of Perimeter Church in Atlanta, just come spend some time with our elders this past week talking about what it looks like to, to lead and care for our church. And uh, he was sharing in one illustration about how he was invited to address several top executives in an, an accounting firm about Christianity. And he began his talk to these um, executives by asking them, how important is your business plan to the success of your business? And all of them said, of course, it's, it's incredibly important. And they went on and on about how important a business plan was to have. And then he asked them, well, how many of you have a life plan? How many of you have considered your purpose, your meaning, your values, and your mission in life. How many of you have thought as intentionally about your own life as you have thought about your business? And they were quiet. <laughs> and then they asked him to share his plan. How about you? How many of you have carefully planned your career or you have a growth plan for your business but you haven't been as thoughtful about your own life, your own family, or you even haven't considered eternity? Have you been too busy running from one thing to the next to ever stop and ask, why? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing the things that I'm doing in the way that I'm doing them? And I think for many of us over these, this last year and a half, the pandemic has caused many of us to consider 
how we spend our time. Because I would submit to you, if you haven't stopped to think about these most important questions in life, you're insane. You're literally insane, right? If I said to you right now, hey, I want everyone to get up right now out of your seat and I want you to go stand out in the parking lot, whether it's here or uh, in Fairfax, I want, you to, I want you to go stand out in the parking lot for two hours. What would you say? Most of you would probably say, why? <laughs> Some of you would say, well, you're kind of nice, so I'll go out there and do it, but it doesn't make any sense. What will it accomplish for anyone? And the philosopher says, you will ask that question about standing in the parking lot, but what about your life? What is your plan for your life and why? And if you don't ask, I would submit that you're not living thoughtfully. What do you think is the purpose of your life? And are you the person that you want to be and that you were meant to be? Well, that's what today's passage is about. And we're gonna consider it in two points. Paul first says, this is the negative way. This is what you don't want your purpose to be in life. And then there's a positive. This is where we do want to find our purpose and our identity. So first, this is the negative. In verse 22, look down with me. Paul writes this. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Okay, but what does that really mean, Paul? What, what does that really mean, your former manner of life? Well, Paul clarifies it. He says in verse 17, it means to no longer walk as the Gentiles. Okay, Paul, but what does that mean, to no longer walk as the Gentiles? It simply means that you are no longer in general to walk, which is another way of saying living as you once did when you didn't know Jesus. Gentile here is talking about someone from chapter two, verse 12, someone separated from Christ. This is how you lived when you did not know Christ. And then you ask the question, but Paul, why? Why do I wanna put off the old self, the old way of living, the old identity? And Paul says, because the old way of living is corrupt. It's deceitful, it's futile, it's darkened, it's alienated, it's ignorant, it's hard, it's callous, it's greedy, and it's impure. Who wants that on their gravestone, right? Here lies one who was corrupt, deceitful, darkened, alienated, ignorant, hard, callous, greedy, and impure. <laughs> And without a relationship with God, this is what all of us are. P Paul describes a life that is lived, alienated from God, apart from God, separated from him as the futility of the mind. Now, what does he mean by that? The futility of the mind. Now, the intellect was prized by the Greeks. And in the Bible, the word mind and heart are often used interchangeably. And so what Paul is saying here, that futility means pointless, empty, or meaningless. And so if it's the futility of the mind, in other words, Paul is saying life without God is empty, pointless, and meaningless. It's nothing. And right now, some of you are thinking, well, I'm glad I came to church today and invited my neighbor. That's a positive, cheerful start to my week. 
Don't worry, we'll get there. But, but just consider some of our cultural commentators over the centuries. Homer in the Iliad writes this, insignificant mortals who are as leaves are and now flourish and grow warm with life and feed on what the ground gives, but then again fade away and are dead. Or consider John Keats, the English poet. He had this engraved on his tombstone without his name. Here lies one whose name was writ in water, meaning he lived and then was forgotten. Or come across the pond to Mark Twain, the American writer. He says, a myriad of men are born. They labor and sweat and struggle. They squabble and scold and fight. They scramble for little mean advantages over each other. Age creeps upon them. Infirmities follow. Those they love are taken from them. And the joy of life is turned into aching grief. It, the release, comes at last. The only unpoisoned gift earth had ever had for them. And they vanish from a world where they were of no consequence. A world which will lament them a day and forget them forever. Or Gandhi, who says, everything we do is futile, but we must do it anyway. If none of those connect with you, consider the movie City Slickers. Not among the greatest of films, I admit, <laughs> but the character Mitch Robbins is played by Billy Crystal, and he goes on this deadpan rant at his son's school when all the dads are there talking about his job. And so you can just imagine Billy Crystal saying this. Value this time in your life, kids, because this is the time in your life when you will have your choices. It goes by fast. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s are a blur. 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? The 40s, you grow a little pot belly, you grow another chin, the music starts to get too loud, one of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother, 50s, you have a minor surgery. You'll call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. 60s, you'll have a major surgery. The music is still too loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. <laughs> 70s, you and the wife retire to Fort, Lauda Fort Lauderdale. You start eating dinner at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You have lunch around 10 o'clock, breakfast the night before, Spend most of your time wandering around the malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? The 80s, you'll have a major stroke and you end up babbling with some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand, but who you call mama. Any questions? <laughs> All right, you think, enough is enough. <laughs> I get it. Where's the exit? When do we sing the songs again? <laughs> The Apostle Paul is saying something like Homer, Keats, Twain, and Billy Crystal, that life is futile, it's meaningless, and it's nothing without God. Just think about it for a moment. If there's no God, if we started by accident, and in, when you die, that's it, then nothing in between has any meaning. If you started from nothing, if you're headed towards nothing, then how can anything in between mean more than nothing? And most of us don't have the guts to admit it. And that's understandable, right? That's hard. So what do we do? I think most of us living in the DMV in 2021 turn to worldly distractions 
as Paul describes in verse 19. If we won't live for God, then we'll live for things in the world. If we won't face that reality of living without God, then we will become callous or numb and we will give ourselves up to sensuality, greed, and impurity. And without God, we are on an endless search with more wealth, more entertainment, and more stuff, and more technology than ever before to distract us and to numb us. And the human heart is in a constant search for love and meaning. And all of our hearts will take good things such as a career, a relationship, possessions, or pleasure, and turn them into ultimate things. As Tim Keller has called them counterfeit gods, they're not the real thing. And a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential that if you should lose it, you are anywhere from discouraged to suicidal. A counterfeit God is often a good thing that we put in the place of the Lord thinking that this will finally give me identity and purpose, but it just can't and it doesn't. Don't take my word for it. Listen to a few highly successful people. Jack Higgins, the renowned author of The Eagle Has Landed, he said that the one thing that he knows at his high point of his career that he wished he had known as a small boy is this, when you get to the top, there's nothing there. What about Jim Carrey, the actor? He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. Or King Solomon, who had more than him and wrote, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? When you finally get all that you always wanted, you will eventually find it ultimately unsatisfying. Everything in life becomes meaningless and empty apart from God. This is true for the person who is not a Christian, but this is also true for the Christian because every day we are discovering our pursuit of things other than God and our need of repentance and grace. And that's the negative way of living. But there's a positive, there's a beautiful way to live with meaning and purpose. Look down with me at verse 24. Paul writes, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now to understand a little bit about what Paul means, what does he mean by put off, put on? Okay, we get that because that's obviously a metaphor for clothing and so we, we understand that a little bit, but we need to understand the Greek to really truly understand what Paul means here. These verbs, put off, put on, are in the aorist and infinitive tense. It means that they are a one-time event in the past. Putting off and putting on, as Paul is describing it in this verse, is a one-time event in the past. And this is really important. The new identity, who we are as Christians, begins with a one-time event that happened in the past. If you are a believer, 
If you are a Christian, then it means that you have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and your old clothes are already in the tomb. That's what our assurance of pardon was about from Ephesians 2.5. We were dead in our trespasses, but God made us alive. Paul's not talking about putting off and putting on different behavior here. He will later, but he's talking about our identity, a comprehensive interchange to who we are, that we have been made new creatures in Christ. Becoming a Christian is first and foremost about being made alive in Christ. This is crucial to understand because next week, Paul starts to get into how we are to live and we will misunderstand Christianity if we don't get this first. Paul is firstly talking about an event that happened in the past. Well, what event? It's in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. For the Greeks, they were used to going to school. They were used to learning a lesson, but not learning a person. Look closely at what it says there. It doesn't say learning of Christ. There's no preposition there. It says learning Christ. It certainly means that we know particular things about Jesus, that he was an historical figure, that he claimed to be the son of God. And we think he proved it through his life of perfection, his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. But more than that, we must believe that God became man and he died in our place Jesus, the new became old, the pure became impure, the clean became unclean, so that the impure could be pure, that the unclean could be clean, and the old self is now a new self. Jesus didn't come to make rude people nice, but to make dead people alive. <laughs> and to give us a future and a hope and a relationship with him now and for all of eternity. So the first question that we must consider about our identity is this, have we asked the Lord to remove our grave clothes and to give us the righteous robes of Christ? That's what Jesus said in John 5, 25. He said, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. They will live. This is great news. God takes all our torn rags from living in a broken, fallen world, from experiencing hurt and pain from hurtful people and our own sin and he clothes us with his robes of righteousness and holiness. He takes everything that is old and he makes it new. Do you believe this? Not just in an intellectual way, but with your whole heart. Have we considered our identity in Christ? Second question, how do we escape the futility of life and live a meaningful, purposeful life. Well, verse 23 tells us 
And this is the ongoing, repetitive practice of a believer through the renewing of the spirit of your minds. That means hearing the voice of Jesus and being taught by him, which is an ongoing action of renewal. That we are no longer darkened in our understanding, that we are no longer alienated from the life of God because Jesus has spoken in the truth of his word. And if you and I hear the voice of Jesus, then nothing will be futile because we will understand why we were made and where we are headed and that everything, even the ordinary in between matters. We put off the old identity because it is nothing without God. And we put on the new identity because it is everything in Christ. So I ask you, what's your life plan? For me, this was a wake-up call when I had kids. I had to think about it. If, if they grew up, because you know kids are smart. They're always paying attention. They're always watching. And I could tell them and say, this is what my life is about. But I had to carefully consider, if they grow up, what would they say that my life was about? What would my kids tell me is my vision, my hope, and my dreams? What about my hope and my dreams for their life? What does my life demonstrate is most important in a word? I want it to be Jesus. So that's all a life plan is. How am I living my life in a way that makes Jesus beautiful to the world around us? What is my mission? What are my values? What are my goals? What might it look like to thoughtfully consider your life this week? Maybe take some time, take an hour just to reflect on this question. Why are you doing what you're doing? Write some things down, consider your time and your money. What does that reveal? What do you want it to reveal? And no matter what it is, it's never too late for God to work in your life and my life. A second question to consider, how are you renewing your mind? Ask some friends, hey, how are you experiencing Christ right now? How did you experience Christ during the pandemic? Share some of the ways that you're learning Christ with your community group or in any situation that you're facing, be curious and ask, what might God be up to in my life right now? Ephesians reminds us what God is up to in this world, what God is up to in this church, and what God is up to in our life. Open your eyes and see it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, without you, it's not pleasant to consider the meaninglessness of life, but it's honest. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see that if everything around us is just simply here by chance and by accident, that we're headed towards 
a future of nothingness. Father, that's too much for us to handle. But Father, enable us to do that so that we would turn to you to see that you are our creator, that you made and you designed this universe with a purpose, that you made us because you loved us so that we could be in a relationship with you, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, that in Christ we have meaning and purpose, that we have value and that we have a new identity. Father, enable us to live our stories in light of the larger story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Cause us to be caught up into this wonderful story of the gospel so that we would live lives of purpose. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.